There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. You know what I mean? It just doesn't compute, you know? The law is the law. Peter, this is in our hands. I mean, it really is. People were there. We will continue to raise our voices. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Good morning and welcome to Tuesday's Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. Fiona Corcoran in for PJ Coogan. Today, I hope you all had a lovely bank holiday weekend, despite the wind and rain of yesterday. Um, I ended up making brown bread yesterday and brought some in for the two lads for Terry and Fergal. So uh, hopefully I'm not going to sicken them. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so hopefully everybody enjoyed the weekend anyway, regardless of the weather. And can I just start by saying a massive congratulations to Cork athlete Phil Healy, who qualified for the Olympics in the double relay on Saturday night she and the team will be heading off to compete in Tokyo in July and I've no doubt that the people of Cork will be supporting her in that. Now coming up on today's show while most of us were trying to convince ourselves to get off the couch and run 5k one young man was completing a gruelling 200 kilometre run and I'll be chatting to him later in the show also I'll be finding out about the project designed to get the whole family singing plus the gym that says it plans to reopen on May 24th and if you want to get in touch with us at any stage the phone line is 1850-715-996 the text is 0833-969696 and the email is opinion at 96fm.ie Now we did mention about the, the wind and the rain yesterday and unfortunately we did have an incident up on the north side of the city as a result of that weather. Uh, residents of One Street in Knocknahini say it's lucky no one was seriously injured after debris fell from a building under construction into their back gardens. It happened yesterday afternoon in Dunmore Gardens and Councillor Tony Fitzgerald joins me on the line now. Good morning, Tony. Good morning, Fiona. Good morning. Tony, uh, can you tell us just what happened and what the residents witnessed yesterday? Yeah, uh, well, around uh, 4pm yesterday afternoon, um, uh, when the residents contacted me in relation to... um, the, the debris from the uh, neighbouring building site had fallen into the residence backyard and they were extremely upset and worried. 
Um, just for your listeners, uh, Fiona, the, the, the site is just under the shadow of the, the water tower up in Nocturnini, mm. in Nocturcullen, and it's a site uh, known locally as the Crocky Boy, which would have been uh, a, a traditional country area many, many years ago when we were all growing up in the in the area. Mm. Uh, but unfortunately, um, uh, it is one of the highest points of the city, um, and winds were very high up here yesterday afternoon. Um, and um, I immediately went up um, and saw for myself uh, what really was was really very frightening. Um, there was a lot of yeah, like there was a lot of photographs and videos circulating yeah. on social media last yeah. night. Can you just describe what what residents had in their back gardens? Like, what yeah, kind of debris they, are we talking about? Yeah, well, the site is very very close to to, to the existing homes in Dunmore Gardens, and I've been up there speaking with the residents for in, over the last couple of weeks. Just making sure that uh, that 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 they were happy with the proceedings of the of the building, uh, but in their backyards was basically the scaffolding that was uh, uh, attached to the nearby property. Uh, uh, parts of the trellises from the roof uh, were blown down, and blocks uh, and and I suppose what 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 one person called mangled kind of um, um, scaffolding, you know, falling into their homes. And along that route, there's a lot of uh, young children um, and, Mm -hmm. you know, there's an older population there as well. And just thankfully and really, really thankfully that none of the residents were out in the backyard and that none of this debris fell on top of them. So they they are very upset and they are very worried. Um, I've been uh, on site this morning, uh, been in touch with the contractor early this morning. Uh, There are workers up there at the moment clearing it and there will be inspections later on this morning. And the contractor has assured me that he will be calling to the residents very shortly once the meetings are over uh, to clear the debris from the properties uh, in their backyards and make it safer just in case any more high winds come today or tomorrow. I watched a video last night um, that somebody had posted on Facebook and people were, as you said, like they were very upset, but they must have got an awful fright as well to see breeze blocks and, and loads of timber and scaffolding falling into their garden. Yeah, well, if, I mean, yesterday was a you know a, a very unique day. I mean, it was very very windy and rainy in the morning, and all of a sudden in the afternoon, around two or three o'clock, the sun came out, mm. and then people were out and about and doing different things. Um, and uh, but then the winds lifted again uh, around, around half past three, four o'clock. So that's when the 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 the, the high winds caught the, the 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 bricks and the, the scaffolding in that particular area. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, 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 I mean, nobody wants to see this. Like, you know, I mean, I've been up there with the residents, um, not only like yesterday, but I've been in discussions with them for the last couple of days, uh, weeks, with with with, with the site, uh, uh, ongoing development in the site, because mm. there are a few things that we need to address there. Now, it is within planning regulation, uh, and the the contractor has assured us that he will do everything. Um, uh, to make sure that the place is safe, and he will continue to, you know, that it, 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 he will, you know, obviously he's part of does part of the investigation this morning. Um, will he be carrying but, but out an investigation? Will that be the the contractor? Will it be the city council? Will it be the HSA? Who will be carrying out that investigation? My understanding yesterday, from when the discussions were going on, was that the HSA would move in pretty quickly, and the, the contractor would have to ensure uh, that uh, it's not a site owned by the city council. Okay. Even though we do expect in the long term uh, for the properties to return to Cox City Council, uh, but it's not a site owned by the City Council at the moment. But um, uh, again, I've been on to the City Council yesterday evening, and um, I expect that they will they will have a role to play today. But uh, I would say, you know, with the fire services report will be significant in what they found yesterday afternoon, 
um, and obviously that report will be uh, will will form the, the the basis of what is required to be done to decide to make it uh, absolutely safe. Uh, and that no uh, no other um, you know damage will be done, and that the safety of the residents is paramount in, in terms of, and indeed the workers who, who are some of them are locally mm. around the place, the workers on site would be it would be imparted too, um, um, and so like the issue today now is that the that the, the contractor will uh, meet the residents this morning. I understand he do that once the meetings are over. Um, he will call to each of the residents, clear the site in the back of their backyard and assure them that um, that every effort will be made to make sure that this doesn't happen with further winds forecasted today. How are the residents this morning? Uh, they're very upset. I mean, you can imagine looking out your window, your back window, you know, and, and they're, they're lovely, lovely residents up, up at Dunmore Gardens. Uh, they've been there nearly 38 to 40, 42 years. I've known them, I know them well. Um, and I mean, imagine to look out your backyard and then to see, you know, a scaffolding and blocks falling into your, into your backyard. And some of them had bought new furniture for the fur the summer season uh, I know one lady uh, who had only bought it uh, a couple of a couple of days ago and smashed uh, right in the center of our backyard and had it has it beautifully done up with with shrubs and flowers and you know um, they, they really look after laughter like these are homes um, you know and 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 and, and they, 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 the people up there treasure their homes mm. um, uh, but it is very upsetting and, and, and worrying very sincerely a very sincere worry uh, you know, if their grandchildren or children had had been playing out in the out on the out in the backyard, and if this had come down, um, it, God only knows what will happen. But thankfully, and thankfully, please God, not, nothing nothing of that happened. But th- there is there is a fallout to it, and you know, mm-hmm. they'd be upset and worry uh, th- th- to make sure it doesn't happen again. And you know, fair play to the residents; they've 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 dealt with this in a very calm, measured, and um, as I say, the focus now today is to is to make sure that uh, the the boundary uh, to the ho- existing houses on Dunmore Gardens is secure. Uh, any debris that's left in the properties is cleared, uh, and reassurance is given by the contractor and the HSA to to the residents that uh, that no further incidents will happen uh, as the development progresses. You mentioned there about clearing the debris from the gardens. Has that already started? Uh, I was on site earlier on there. Uh, obviously, there's no access to the site itself, uh, but I could see it from uh, the water tower. That there is work. The, the, there is um, the, 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 the builder has um, staff on, on the roof at the moment. After I saw them clearing down blocks on the northern side of the site, mm. so they're working towards that. Um, so I respect that they will. They, there'll be a team moving shortly to. Uh, First of all, the contractor has to have his meetings this morning and then he's going to visit each of the properties and um, uh, put in a plan to move to move the debris pretty quickly. And that's what I've asked him to do. And he has agreed to do that and I'll be in contact with the residents again later on during the day to make mm-hmm. sure that this happens, that this, that, that this occurs. It was just unfortunate, I suppose, that there was such powerful gusts of wind yesterday, something that we wouldn't be expecting to see at the start of May. Well, that's right. Well, Fiona, you, you've been in uh, Nafti many times mm-hmm. covering very great stories of the people up here, particularly during COVID and, you know, um, during, you know all the means and wheel services and the services that are up here, great people. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a fantastic community. You you know the place well. It is the highest point in the mm-hmm. city. Uh, I mean, you can see the water tower from over by the airport. You can see it coming in from Mallow. 
it is the highest point of the city. And I think, you know, again, I, I, I'm not qualified to say what happened, but I would imagine that um, high winds at that particular time of the afternoon were, were a factor. But, um, but you know, it's it hopefully, hopefully now that the, the, the remaining... Um, the structure of the of the, of the site will be will be uh, mm. looked after today, and the the, the debris uh, taken out from the families, and they can get back to some sort of normality, enjoying the the good weather. That hopefully that will come our way in the next couple of weeks. Hopefully, listen. Thanks very much, Tony Finnefall, councillor for the local area. Tony Fitzgerald, thanks for joining us on the opinion line on Corks ninety six FM this morning. We'll be back after the break. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850-715-996. On Quartz 96 FM. Welcome back. Fiona Corcoran in for PJ Coogan on this Tuesday morning. Now, hundreds of students and staff at a school in Yall spent their bank holiday having COVID-19 tests. It was part of a mass screening of the school population after a number of cases last week. And our editor, Terry Brennan, has been looking at it. Terry, what more can you tell us? Yes, well, good morning, Fiona. The school in question is Pubble Skull na Trinoda in Yall. The mass testing that took place yesterday, it came after 24 cases of COVID-19 were confirmed at the school in recent days. Now, the HSE, in conjunction with the school, made the decision to carry out a mass testing day, as you say, for students yesterday. The test centre at the school opened at 9am. It ran through until 7pm. And despite the atrocious weather yesterday, um, we understand around 950 tests were were carried out. Now, ahead of it, the principal, Seamus O'Callaghan, took to social media and he appealed to students to take part in the testing. This is what he had to say over the weekend. We all want to keep everybody in the school community safe. Your family, your friends. We all want life to come back to normal as quickly as possible in the school. And we want our Leaving Certs to be able to sit the Leaving Cert in June. To do this, we all have a role to play. You are all invited to come for testing tomorrow to Public School Trinoda at your allocated slot. Never before was it so important for us all to respect one another, value learning, nurture community and pursue excellence. If you have already been tested in recent days, then there is no need to attend. If you are under 16, you will need to be accompanied by an adult. If you are symptomatic, Please consult your GP. That was Principal Seamus O'Callaghan. And Terry, has the school said anything since the testing was carried out? Yeah, in a statement on social media last night, the school thanked students for taking the opportunity to get tested. Uh, It wrote on Twitter that today we saw our mission statement come to life. Together, we respect one another, value learning, nurture community and pursue excellence. Thank you to all our community for protecting each other and turning up to get tested. It went on to say that over 950 members of the school community were tested for COVID-19 over the past few days and wanted to thank the HSE. It said this testing will help break COVID-19 chains of transmission. The school went on to thank the HSE staff for their professionalism and efficiency in managing the testing centre. Now, for our listeners in Yol this morning, the hope, of course, will be that this mass testing will indeed break the chain of transmission and that things will get back to normal as soon as possible.
Well, we all hope so. Um, listen, Terry, thanks very much for that. 1850-715-996-0833-969696. Now, with the COVID restrictions easing and people looking forward to getting back to some sort of normality, there's a general air of hope amongst the general public. And with over one million people now having their first vaccination, people are looking to the future with a lot more positivity. But one Cork GP says that while we can and should look forward to a brighter future, we still need to be careful. Dr. Nick Flynn of uh, mycorkgp.ie based up in Holly Hill. Thank you for joining me, Dr. Flynn. Good morning, Fiona. Good morning. Um, Nick, you say that people should look forward to the restrictions easing, but yet you're reminding people that the virus is still around. How important is this reminder now? Well, I think think it remains uh, important, uh, Fiona. I mean, uh, if you look at what's happening with the restrictions, they're being eased slowly. Mm. Um, and even before I came on air, I just reminded myself of what's going to happen over the next uh, week. And really, the the restrictions and the way they're easing is reasonably complicated. You know, like so next Monday, uh, three households or six people can meet outdoors. So that's going kind to of in a garden or your barbecue or your drinks in the afternoon. Children are not included, but then it's. There's a vaccine bonus, so people are fully vaccinated. They can meet indoors, up to three households or one household, where the person uh, are not at significant risk of becoming unwell with COVID. And while all the restrictions easing are are welcome, I do think the guidelines are a little complicated. So really, it was just a call for people to remember as the guidelines ease, to do their best to follow the guidelines, but that the virus hasn't changed. And in the situations you find yourself in, where you can... Uh, keep social distance when you're indoors, where you can wear a mask, you know, that you, that, and you can wash your hands and, and socialise in vent, well-ventilated areas, that all this advice uh, still holds true. We've, they're doing really well in the vaccines. We can see numbers coming down internationally in the UK and in Israel. We can see that uh, vaccines are going to be very, very important on the comeback from COVID-19. But until we get to this magic herd immunity, mm. it is still important that people uh, behave responsibly while still enjoying the restrictions e- easing. And are you, seeing, are you still seeing quite a number of people coming into your surgery with COVID symptoms? Yeah, we are really. I suppose we're seeing, since the schools went back, we're seeing an increase in the number of people who have symptoms. Um, uh, now, clearly, the numbers, especially in Cork, are still low. Mm. Uh, we're now in the hay fever season, and some of the hay fever symptoms can include cough and sore throat. So there can be some crossover uh, between hay fever symptoms and COVID symptoms. That's very difficult to, to, to tell the difference. So we, we, we have seen an increase in referrals uh, in that regard as well. But general, certainly, I mean, and we would we would anticipate that over the next two or three weeks, the, the, as restrictions ease, there will be the numbers will increase slightly. Uh, so it's a cause for people that just to behave responsibly where you can. And restrictions easing isn't restrictions ending. Although I think we can all look forward to you know getting back to sports, you know, mm. getting back to meeting our friends, especially outside. Yeah, I think that's what we're all really, really looking forward to, isn't it? And we're just all trying to aim for that. And are you seeing then the positive effects of the vaccination now in the community as well? Well, I suppose it's a bit early for me to see that at a practice level, but I think Mm. nationally we can see, like in the patients in, say, nursing homes who are fully vaccinated now in a number of months, 
that hospital referrals and ICU admissions in that age group are, are are decreased. But what we really are seeing, like in our own practice, we're vaccinating every second week. We've been vaccinating the over 70s and we're nearly finished from the point of view of over 70s getting their second um booster dose next week and there's a real sense of hope and there's a really I suppose that the, the sense of positivity around people coming into those clinics is, is fantastic and there's a real sense that, that things are going to come back and, 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 that's, and that's the way it should be because vaccines are very very effective and, and, and they will be effective but they will be here so we, what we don't know for sure is like how long immunity from a vaccine lasts, how long immunity from infection lasts and it is likely that the first booster will be tying that around six months and, and there may be an annual booster for a couple of years after that. So it's, it's a big logistical challenge for the health service still to provide one vaccine for everybody now, two plans for uh, a vaccine booster six months and then potentially an annual vaccine for a number of years. Nick, like when I met you um, back in February, March time, open the surgery, we were only coming into the whole pandemic then. And I, I don't think we really thought that we'd be still here uh, a year and a half later. Do you th- like how much longer do you think that we're going to be talking about COVID vaccination, testing, being responsible? Like, will this be part of our lives forever, do you think? Or I, I, I don't I don't think forever, but, it, but I do think that, that, that healthcare has changed. And I do think that, you know, society will have changed. Uh, but by, uh, I suppose, association. I, I think we will we will be talking about COVID testing and COVID vaccines probably uh, for the next 12 or 18 months, although society will be open and we'll, we'll be getting back to our lives again. But, uh, but, but I certainly think that we'll be talking about it for, for that length of time. But I think that the fallout from uh, some of the, uh, I suppose, of the, of the COVID changes we've seen will, will probably be long-term. I think in my own uh, sector, so in general practice, we the, end, the busy waiting room is now a thing of the past, especially a winter busy waiting room, uh, where we have you know maybe people with you know or overweight with diabetes who are coming for a diabetes check. Like in the past, they would have been sitting in the waiting room next to somebody who potentially had the flu. Mm-hmm. Uh, we certainly can't have that anymore. So, so the busy waiting room in general practice is over. Um, uh, the, I suppose the remote consultation, so talking to your doctor on the phone and video, that has probably going to be a bigger part of uh, seeing your doctor in the future although clearly the face-to-face consultations will have to come back now more uh, in the next couple of months but for some patients that actually suits them you know to yeah. have not have to leave you know the house with three kids to come to the doctor for uh, the initial conversation at least uh, and the same not having to take two hours off of work when you can do a telephone consultation and, and make a plan from there so I think we will be seeing the fallout um, and the change in society and the change in some practices from uh, COVID into the future. Definitely. I think it's really made us look at different things in a very different way across all levels of society and all different services that we're using. And uh, finally, Nick, like the numbers you said there that um, the numbers in Cork continue to be low. I suppose like it's it's a major achievement for somewhere like Cork, the city and county, that the numbers have remained low quite a lot throughout the whole pandemic, haven't they? Yeah, no, I mean, it's a testament to, to the effort people have made, you know, um, and, and, it's, and it's, been, it's been great to see. Um, and, it's, it, and it's helped the, the, the hospital services to maintain other 
service was going because it, if the hospital service was clearly, if, if they got too busy with COVID, other things had to stop. So, no, no, it's, it's been great to see. Just, just before we finish, I, I would just say on the vaccine rollout, where, where we're at from a general practice point of view, is that we um, have been very busy vaccinating the over 70-year-olds and it's been, it's been great. The next age group down, the 60 to 70-year-olds, I think it's been fairly well uh, publicised that the HSE are arranging vaccinations for this age group. I think it's currently at 65 to 70-year-olds. Mm. Uh, and in patients who are in, the, I suppose, the medically vulnerable groups, which they're calling group four and group seven, uh, under that age group, they can attend their their GP for vaccination. But in general, the GPs will, will call patients for that. So that's, you know, uh, patients who are on cancer treatment, kidney disease, diabetes, who are immunosuppressed, uh, who are obese, you know, um, mm. and maybe heart disease. But if anybody, I think over the next week or two, if anybody feels that they have those conditions and they haven't been uh, called by their GP and they are under the age of 60, it probably is worth just touching base with your general practice. Brilliant. Listen, thanks very much, Dr. Nick Flynn. Thank you for that. Back after the break. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. Welcome back to Tuesday's Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. Now next, this morning, the government outlined its latest roadmap out of lockdown at the end of last week with society opening up bit by bit over the coming months. For gyms, they've been given a date of June 7th for when they can reopen for individual training. Ahead of the announcement last week, though, the team at One Life Fitness, which has two gyms in Cork and one in Dublin, took to its social media channels to say that it plans to reopen on May 24th regardless. Shane Burke is from One Life Fitness and joins me now. Good morning, Shane. Good morning. Shane, you made that announcement ahead of the June 7th date being announced. Is it still your intention to reopen on May 24th? It is indeed. We'd like to open sooner if we can. Uh, One of our gyms in Dublin has a hairdressing facility at the front entrance and a physiotherapy treatment centre downstairs, which has been working non-stop for the last couple of months. So the fact that we have our doors open already I don't see the difference in having a couple of people in the gym training, whether it's four per household or just four people in the gym full stop having the place themselves. At least that way I've got some revenue coming in and some normality back in our business. It's insanity the way the government are making these decisions based on certain industries, whether it's food or beverage or leisure. There just doesn't seem to be any consistency in it. And we completely disagree with the roadmap to reopen and believe the government is not using proper judgment when it comes to certain industries. But they're the, the COVID guidelines and the advice. Um, so, like, if you do open, you're going against that. Do you have, do you mind that you're going against that? Like, do you... Well, what's the difference between, you know, having 10 members in my large gym and having 50 people in the likes of Dunn Stores or Lidl or Aldi or wherever the other shopping, where it's, it's completely people not, it's not two metres apart from each other. Sometimes people pick up one parcel and put it back down the shelf and someone else comes and picks it up. You don't get that scenario in gyms. So it it doesn't seem to be consistency in allowing certain industries to open. Uh, Even if you go to the petrol station, you're going in there and there could be 10, 15 people in there queuing for food and paying for petrol. We don't have those kind of packed numbers in our large facilities. So it doesn't make any sense how last year we're categorized as the same as hairdressing and beauty. And this year we're not. We're way behind them. Some would say that it's all the heavy breathing and the sweating, that it's not the same as the shop or the supermarket. Well, we have systems in place for that. We, we, if for my 20 treadmills in South Terrace alone, 
we don't have every machine open next to each other. They're all spread out. And then on top of all that, we have extract systems, air handling systems in our gyms compared to shopping centers that turn over the air, mm-hmm. bring in fresh air, take out the stale air, and that's turned over a few times an hour. We have better systems in most places. So people heavy breathing is only ever going to happen in a cardio section. And the cardio section has been vastly reduced in the amount of equipment available. The government are making these guidelines on the advice of NEFIT and, you know, scientists, medica- medical advisors, medical experts. So, like, why why would you not listen to that advice? What about the other advice out there from the World Health Organization that say lockdowns are not the answer? Living with this, with, how would I say, um, restrictions, curfews at night times, lesser numbers indoors, face masks, more hand, uh, hand sanitizing, etc., etc. They're not asking us for the lockdown. Look at Portugal at the moment, mm. Sweden, other island nations that have got a handle on this from the word go last year. Like the government were way too slow to act upon this last year. And that's why we are doing a sale at One Life Fitness at the moment to encourage people to get active again and re- reduce this whole stress and pressure on people's mental health at the moment. That's why we're encouraging people to go to our website and help us get back open again. And at the end of the day, I've still got bills to pay. My landlord is still looking for the rent. We've got loans out on fitness equipment when we reinvested into the clubs. We didn't. We only got a couple of months payment break on that last year. But Shane, like if you've been given a date of June the 7th to open, why, why not wait the extra few weeks? It's only an extra two weeks that you have to wait. We're pushing towards May the 10th, to be honest with you. Right. We have... There's absolutely no difference between a person. There's a lot of difference between a person getting a haircut, close counter, or someone getting beauty or nails done, to my gym instructor standing on the front desk letting people come and go. I don't see the difference. There's a massive difference. Sorry, there is a massive difference. We've got safer protocols, safe, more distance. Uh, the government's decision does not make any sense. It's constantly chopping and changing back and forth. It's very frustrating. And if you do go ahead with May 24th, what will you do if the guards visit you on the day? We'll just have to deal with that when it happens. If we get heavy fires, if we're shut down, if we're taken off, so be it. We've got to get our point across that they are mishandling the entire nation and they should be held responsible for some of the decisions they've made. Like, opening up in December was absolutely insanity, the busiest, craziest time of the year, and yet they admitted that was wrong, but we're still shut six months later. A, if you look at other countries, you can go to the gym under strict conditions where it's maximum 10, 15 people. I would take that any day of the week instead of being closed for six months. So if the guards order you to close that day, what, what, what are you going to do then? I'm going to have to follow the law. We'll have to see what happens that day. Hmm. Have you the had any day, legal we, advice on this, on, on opening up on May 24th? We have. What? And we have made the decision that we need to keep pushing forward with this. Like we have lost quite a lot of our database members, people that no longer live in the city, whether it's in Tallinn in Dublin or whether it's in Cork, a lot of people just don't work in the city anymore. There's a lot of foreign students that have left that make up a large amount of our members. And the most important fact here we've got to realise here is the most vulnerable, the frontline workers have already been vaccinated. So they don't make up a large portion of my members going to the gym. We were 16 years and plus. So the vulnerable have already had their vaccination. Mm. Why are we still in this um, lockdown? It's, it's not the answer. Living with it under slight alterations and modifications is the way forward. Not completely locking us down for six months. It doesn't make any sense the way they've done it. And again, there's no consistency with the government procedures and their communication on it is even worse. Was the legal advice to go ahead and open? 
Uh, I'd rather not say, but okay. we're just we're going to push forward with it. It's yeah. as simple as that. If the guards show up and take us away, so be it. If the members want to come down and do it, we'll support them. If they want to go to our website and register interest to join us, to come and use our facilities, or better yet, rent a facilities office, show the mm. interest in it. We've already had massive support with the social media campaign we did last week. Mm. Way more than people negative about it. Okay. Brilliant. Listen, Shane, thanks so much for talking to us on the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM this morning. Comments on that 1850-715-996-0833-969696. Cork's 96FM Giving for Living Radiothon takes place this May 20th to May 22nd and we need your help. We want you to gather your loose change and raise funds for Cork Cancer Services. Become a change collector by grabbing your special collection box at 96FM.ie. The Giving for Living Radiothon takes place on on May 20th to May 22nd, only on Cork's 96 FM. Now, uh, many of you were out and about over the weekend enjoying a walk, but one thing that drives most of us up the wall is when we come across dog poo. Peter Horgan, good morning. Good morning, Fiona. How are you? You were out in Black Rock Village and it took the shine off your walk. Good morning. Uh, it takes the shine off every walk, every morning and evening. Now, I have a young child, so I have mm-hmm. a young boy, um, and, uh, so I use a buggy. But well before my son was born, it was an issue that, that when I ran the local elections, when I first became a, a local, local area rep for Labour Party, people would say you could knock on the door on someone, you could be talking about the United Nations, and at the end of every conversation, it'd be, what about dog filing? Dog mm. filing, what are you doing about it? And I get absolutely slagged by my mates in WhatsApp groups about dog filing, left, right and centre, but it, it is the hill I'll die on. It's just something that I think has become even more out of control in recent months since you know since we're all in our localities walking a lot more people are noticing it mm. a lot more um what's really irking people is, is is people with wheelchairs with buggies people cycling with kids you know it's just it's just nasty public health implications with it and the recent thing that i've noticed as well and i saw a sign that was put up by an individual there was one or two of them in black rock a polite notice please clean up after your dog um you know, it was it was eye catching, but you have to wonder if you're someone who's not cleaning up after your dog, are you going to play, pay any bit of blind notice to that? And I think not. But do we need polite notices? Do we not need something else? Um, I mean, like there's signs up all over the place or all around the yeah. city, especially in public amenities, fifteen hundred euro fine for dog filing. But there's nobody enforcing that. I mean, there's nobody yeah. out monitoring the situation. Yeah. I mean, I did an FOI a few months ago uh, to the City Council and there's, I got the response back that there's been four fines issued by City Council since 1997. Um, and those four fines came in a four-week period in 2017 between April and May. Uh, three of them were paid, 150 or each. One went to, one was the summons. Uh, the case wasn't proceeded with. So, I mean, so do we need somebody just, out there? Do yeah. we need like a, a warden out on walks all the time? Or do we need to have um, CCTV up in areas? How are we going to manage this? Well, we need we need to empower the litter wardens and the dog wardens because at the moment the law doesn't allow them to, to issue a fine. The law is, is quite complicated that you have to see someone in the act mm. not cleaning up after your dog and you have to be prepared to go to court. And there's not many people who would be prepared to go to court. To court. Now, my colleague, Councillor John Maher, has a motion in uh, that I've been working with him on for the last few years about empowering the dog warden and the litter warden to find those who aren't carrying a bag when in control of a dog. This was trialled in Nina. Uh, when Nina had a town council, it's in, it's in, it's in operation there. It's, it's, got, it's got a good bit of, good bit of success with it. Uh, that's, it's currently stuck in committee, I'm told, by Councillor Maher. Uh, mm-hmm. And we just need to see a zero tolerance enforcement now on the matter. We, we need to have a blitz. I mean, we're seeing 
We're seeing posters around the place and bus shelters of a lovely cute dog saying, please carry a bag. But it does, it's not working. The post, if the posters were working, I would say something, but they're absolutely not just from even walking around any part of the city. Uh, it's everywhere. It's not just in Blackrock. It's not just in Douglas. It's everywhere. And everyone will have something to say about it. And I think if you if you put the money that we were putting into a poster campaign, the Cork City against litter, of course Cork City is against litter. It's, it's, mm. You know, it doesn't need to be said. But instead of putting money into bus shelters, ads, if we put the money into enforcement measures, you know, boots on the ground, presences on the ground in, in high-density walking areas, places like Ballancolic Region Park, places like Marina, places like Ballybrack Woods. You know, there was a pilot done in Mayfield, I think, on, on dock floating bins. I don't know what happened with that, do you know? Um, mm. Leitrim tried, have announced something last week about DNA chipping. I've been talking about this issue since 2017, Fiona, and any time I've come on there with PJ uh, or, or spoken with yourself or, or spoken in the Echo the Examiner about it, I get a plethora of emails mm. from DNA chipping companies saying we want to do something. Obviously, that's their own business. You know, they're trying to make the book on that. Yeah. But Leitrim have decided, well, we're going to try something different. And I think we need to try something different. My own personal view of it is that if there was a zero tolerance blitz, if you were to announce, if you were to do a zero tolerance blitz next week and you were to, and the city council was coming to your show on next Monday and say we issued 150 fines on Saturday, and 150 fines on Sunday, and they will be paid, and we will chase them up to be paid. I think that would send a message to people, and people will go, hang on a second, mm. I'm going to think twice about not picking up. And the, and another thing is, it's not even just a not picking up issue now that I've noticed, it's the hanging of the bags on trees or bushes, mm. or as I saw, which was absolutely shocking uh, a few weeks back, is carefully placed in a daffodil uh, bush. You know, carefully placed in amongst the daffodils was two or three bags of dog fowling. I it's saw one on the green in front of our house and somebody had actually gone out to cut the grass and cut up then, like that got stuck in it and it was just oh. everywhere. But is that just all part, is it like an education that we need to be, as some sort of an education policy that we need to bring in here in this country? Because, you know, it annoys so many people. We've had so many callers on the shows here with their horror stories of, mm. of dog fouling and, you know, it's on the pram wheels, as you said earlier, mm. people in wheelchairs. Um, so, like, if there's so many people complaining about it, like, why why are we having such an issue with it? Like, are people just not educated enough about it to to, to pick it up and bring it home no, if they can't see it's it? In? Not, it's not the education. It's absolutely not the education. Everyone knows it's wrong. Everyone knows uh, that if you don't pick up after your dog, that that you're you're not doing right by your community. And I suppose in the last year, we've all you know. You know, inculcate ourselves back within the communities again, Joe, whether it was 2K, 5K, and now thankfully it's just in Cork and going into the county. But I think we're all aware of our areas a lot more. Mm. Um, perhaps before that, people, you know, would have been walking at different times and maybe didn't see the need to picking up after themselves. I don't know. I can't get in the mentality of someone who, who doesn't clean up after the dog. I don't own a dog, but I used mm. to look after um, guide dogs, puppy training. And, you know, it, it, is, it is a nasty business. You know, it's not, it's not pleasant cleaning it up. Nobody's saying you should be doing it with a smile in your face. And there's plenty of dog owners I know and if I'm out walking with them and their dog does a business, you know, they're swearing under the breath and they mm. pick it up and they just have to crack on with it. That's that's the nature of dog ownership. You know, it's, it's responsibility. It's not nice cleaning it off your shoes or off your children's shoes and, either. And the more know, importantly is, is the public health implications and mm. the dangers it has to children. I mean, there's horror stories of the infections you can get from dog fouling. And the last thing anyone needs at this point is their child coming in saying, Mommy, Daddy, I picked up, I touched this on the floor when my ball hit it. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? Because we've everyone, we've all the kids playing on green areas now, you know, and, and we just want people to have a bit of personal responsibility. So it's not, it's not, and it, I kind of struggle with it sometimes. You know, sometimes we like to paint the city council as the big bad wolf in the corner. Mm. Oh, they're not doing this, they're not doing that. There's only so much the council can do as well, to be fair. But I think if they put the money into enforcement, if they put the money to boots on the ground of visibility, I would then stand four square behind city council and say, well, the city council have done, have done their bit. Now it's down to personal responsibility. And it's, it's having that kind of viewpoint. If you see someone, and it's hard to say it, you know, if you see someone, I've been this person, if you see someone not cleaning up after the dead dog, you say, what have you done there? And someone gets an earache or someone, you know, people don't like confrontation. And that's yeah. understandable, 100%. Nobody wants confrontation these days. You know, but I think if, if you could, if, if people understood that, look, there's there's a little warden going to be walking on a Sunday down the marina, and if if you're if you're if you're not cleaning up after your dog, you're going to get a fine. If you get that mentality into people, because it was now I know there's an issue with illegal dumping, and there's an issue with CCTV with GDPR that my colleague Senator Mark Watt has been on to allow CCTV to be used in cases where illegal dumping is happening. Mm. But if you had a situation where, you know people knew that when they take the dog out that you know that's not they're being watched but that there was a consequence for their inaction then i think you would see a sea change in mentality and I, but i yeah. you know i think the first step is number one and i would hope there would be a cross party support in the council for councillor mars uh motion on this you know nobody owns this issue you know, yeah. there's, there's not one councillor for dog fun, there's not one councillor dumping. I think all the councillors need to get together with the executive and develop an approach that really shows results. Not not just picking the box issues, not just photo ops, but real results. And the results would be cleaner footpaths, cleaner streets for us. Which is what we all want. Peter Horgan, listen, thank you very much for that. We want your thoughts on this. We know it gets a lot of you annoyed. Tom is after getting in touch with the opinion line. In y'all, the school kids put up yellow cards in fouled areas on the telegraph poles and red cards on the badly fouled areas. It gave buy-in from the parents and people didn't want to disappoint the school children. Kate says in France they supply the poo bags in a tin on every second telephone pole, but they also enforce the fouling law very strictly. Another caller got in touch to say the only way I of this is enforced dog nappies and another caller got in touch to say the guards cannot issue a fine for dog fouling why is that? 1850-715-996-083-396-9696 The lines are live and we're ready to talk Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Fiona Corcoran sitting in for PJ Coogan on this Tuesday's Opinion Line. Now, the Cork Life Centre is marking its 20th anniversary with a number of special events and talks this week. Among them, the launch later today of a piece of research by two former students looking at alternative education. Professor Anya Highland is Emeritus Professor of Education and former Vice President of UCC. Professor Highland, you're very welcome to the show. Good morning. Good morning and thank you very much for having me, Fiona. It's, it's a, a pleasure. pleasure. <laughs> thank you. You're taking part in this panel discussion later today. Um, and when we talk about alternative education, what do we actually mean? Well, we mean an opportunity for young people who have been failed really by the mainstream system. Uh, young people who for a variety of reasons are not able to cope with uh, mainstream education, particularly secondary, second level education. And uh, the second level education system hasn't 
uh, hasn't included them really, has excluded mm-hmm. them in different ways. And uh, we're very fortunate that the Cork Life Centre has been there for 20 years to support and look after those kind of people, those kind of young people, and provide a new opportunity and a beacon of light for them for their future. Is there too much focus now on mainstream education and it, it being the right approach for all children and young ad- adults? And do we need to, to look at that a bit more here? Yes, I think we do. I think um, while it has been successful for most of our population, that is not uniformly true. It's not true right across the system. So there are a significant young, while, while of course we have a very high completion rate mm-hmm. and over 90% of our young people uh, sit the Leaving Cert, either the Leaving Cert established or the Leaving Cert applied. But nevertheless, there are uh, up to 10% of the young people who don't manage that and who for various reasons have dropped out of school and I think this is where uh, we have to recognise that. Uh, In the past there were, ironically, that was it wasn't such a a blot if you like on their CV not to have completed but nowadays there is an expectation that young people complete second level education or at least get some kind of a qualification that fits them for life and in fairness I mean it is in their best interest as well because employers will usually be looking for some kind of a qualification and that's, as I say, where the Cork Life Centre has been absolutely wonderful in finding ways to support these young people, as I say, who have been failed by the mainstream system. Um, when you talk about those uh, young people who have been failed by the mainstream education system, does it affect more boys than girls? Or yes, young yeah. boys, uh, boys aged 12 to 16 in particular. And of course... If one thinks about it, it's, it's, it's very, for some of those young boys, it's very difficult to conform to what are, I mean, the Irish education system is a good system, but it does expect a high level of conformity. And if you think about the 12 to 16 year olds as, as they have evolved over the generations, it's a bit unnatural for some young, energetic, strong young fellows to be sitting in a classroom, particularly if they don't see the point in it and they are not going to achieve and they're simply going to, as they see it, fail in the system. So we really have an obligation as a society to think about how best to support those young people. And we do have exemplars. I mean, Cork Life Centre is an extraordinarily successful example of how those young boys in particular, but also there are girls in the same age group, how they can be supported. And we've had many of those success stories here on the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. Um, do you think that uh, the Cork Life Centre, do we need to see more of these kind of institutions around the country? Absolutely. I, I have no doubt about it. And unfortunately, it, they don't fit into our system. So, um, for example, the Cork Life Centre, under its wonderful director, Don O'Leary, they don't get <coughs> reliable funding. <coughs> so as well as being a manager and a teacher and a psychologist and everything else that Don is, he also has to be a fundraiser. And a lot of the costs of running the centre are provided through voluntary uh, contributions and through donations from one or two excellent donors. Mm. And of course, a huge amount of the work of the centre is carried out by volunteers. All of that is wonderful, but it shouldn't be that way in many ways. I mean, the money 
to run a centre like that, in my view, should be part of the mainstream education budget. And it should also be, while the word alternative education is a, in, in some ways perhaps the only appropriate word in Ireland, it shouldn't be just seen as a, a, a sort of a negative. It should be seen as, as something that's extremely positive and necessary and required and should be funded appropriately. Professor, are young people's voices being heard enough in the debate around alternative education, do you think? Well, up, up until recently, they haven't been. But in more recent years, I think, thanks to the Office of the Ombudsman for Children, for example, uh, Dr. Niall Muldoon, he raises this issue quite a lot. And he is a voice on their behalf and has encouraged the voice of young people to be heard. So I think increasingly we are listening to the voice of young people themselves. And for example, in the current discussion on senior cycle reform, the Irish Secondary School Students' Union are uh, very vocal and very involved. And that's a very good thing because they are the young people uh, who are impacted by whatever mm. decisions are made and they also are our future um, we as a country depend on our young people for, for our success in the future You were talking there a while ago about the amount of volunteerism and uh, the amount of fundraising that goes into something like the Cork Life Centre Is it right that this is the case when so many young people are benefiting from it? No, I don't think so. I, I mean, that I, I think that would be my that would be a, a, a point I would make. Mm. Uh, we are for. I mean, it, it, the numbers nationally are really very high who are excluded from schools. For example, there are hundred at least one hundred and fifty expulsions every year. There are over thirteen thousand suspensions every year in second level education, and we know that, for example. Uh, since the pandemic, just very recently, four and a half children and young people have not yet returned to school, even though all the schools opened after Easter. But there are a very significant number who, for various reasons, and we don't really know why, but some of them may come from disadvantaged homes or they may be homeless, uh, as well as those who, of course, for for, uh, health reasons can't come back. And then, of course, we have other groups of young people, travellers for example, only 10% of them complete senior cycle and um, you know, they're, they, they really they, they make a huge contribution to our society when they're successful as we have seen with the very small numbers who have come through and who have come through into third level but uh, they're a tiny, tiny proportion of the population and then we have the new Irish and those who are in uh, asylum seekers and refugees, uh, all of whom need to have individual support to help them to fit into society and indeed society recognise what they have to bring. Brilliant. And that report is called From Exclusion to Inclusion, Defining Alternative Education in Ireland. Professor Anya Highland, thank you very much for joining us this morning. And PJ will be chatting to Don O'Leary on the show tomorrow. Stay with Cork's 96 FM back after the break. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. Welcome back. Now, if you've walked past St. Finbar's Cathedral in recent days, you might have noticed a team of volunteers in the grounds of the cathedral armed with gloves, shovels and a few wheelbarrows. They're part of a project known as Green Spaces for Health. They're developing a wildflower garden with a little help from the community and the local primary school. And I've been along to speak with some of them. 
Maria Young from Green Spaces for Health Cork City and this is our Biodiversity Wildflower Garden Project uh, in St. Finbar's Cathedral. What we're doing is we're uh, establishing a wildflower garden and uh, what we have to do is remove the top layer, the grass. Uh, we're taking the sods over to the compost heap and we're raking the soil, adding in a bit of sand and then we'll plant in probably in the first week of May when it gets a bit warmer we'll put the seed in. We're trying to increase the biodiversity right across South Parish. It's critical in a time of our biodiversity crisis when uh, all sorts of species of insect and bees are on the decline. So the more we can do to support them, to provide them with nectar and pollen, the better. And that's what this project is all about. As you can see, we're doing three different uh, sections. We'll come back next week then and plant in the seed and hopefully we can sit back then and just relax and let nature do its thing. We're very lucky to have some helpers from both the community here and then we also um, rang up the Riverlee Hotel. They're very good to us and they provided some uh, of their staff. In fact, uh, we have a pastry chef and you can see how he rolled out the grass <laughs> rather like he would do at Roulade. <laughs> well, we're delighted. It's great to have the bit of brawn, you know, the bit of muscle because uh, it's tough work to be honest with you. My name is Max Anton. Maria has asked us for help here today. Uh, we work in a hotel, myself and George here and uh, she asked us for a hand so we, we ran down. We grabbed a shovel and a pair of gloves and we ran down. It's good to get down and dirty every now and again. <laughs> Especially working in a hotel that's been quiet for a while. So It's been good. We've been keeping ourselves busy working with Maria as well. She's given us a hand down in uh, in the hotel to improve biodiversity so it's great. We have uh, St. Finbar's local national school and this is the second week they've come over. Last week they came over to learn about what we were doing and they helped us out and uh, this week they're going to get seeds and they're going to start do a little bit of planting themselves uh, both in their own garden in the school and down here as well. They're actually super important because if there was no bees, no, there'll be that would be one of the pollinators species gone. My mom does gardening like a lot, so I would like to get interested in it too. So like, we can have more of this. I am really excited because last time we were here it was like COVID didn't exist. It's like we've all just allowed to be together, and the, it was super fun. It was actually super fun last time, but we didn't get to plant any flowers. We're just it's taking up the dot. Yeah, it was just really fun. It, I'm really excited because we get to like help the nature, so we can make the garden look like nicer, and then a lot of pe- more people will come over. Even though like last time I was just um, taking all the soil, it's putting it, um, putting it over there. You know, it was just fun walking around the cathedral, and it was really fun because you could see all. Well, it was kind of disgusting seeing the worms, but. <laughs> Um, I really like nature and looking at all the flowers, bees, birds and all type of species were really fun. My name is Ashley Ellis. Uh, well, this morning we've been um, just talking about biodiversity and the interconnectedness of creatures and plants and how we help each other and live with each other and how it's important to have that biodiversity so that when we're in need we can lean on each other. Um, so that whole circle of life, so to speak. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's been really wonderful to be here and design this space um, to make a nice curve and hopefully welcome the community to come in and use this space and also get used to the diverse range of species and plants and insects that we have here. Ah yeah, actually I have them in my hand here. Um, borage, ox-eyed daisy, uh, calendula, um, yarrow, so so many. Uh, bird's foot trefoil, I hope I'm saying that right but I think that's a really lovely name. 
It is indeed. And thank you very much to Green Spaces for Health and all the volunteers who spoke to me there last week. And hopefully people will be able to go into the grounds of St. Finbar's Cathedral over the coming months and enjoy the fruits of their labour. Now, it's one of the biggest stories globally today. The announcement that the Microsoft founder Bill Gates and his wife Melinda have announced that they're divorcing after 27 years of marriage. Gerald Keane is celebrity solicitor and he joins me now. Ger, good morning. Good morning, Fiona. Thank you for joining us on the Opinion Line this morning, Chair. Now, an announcement like this from a couple as powerful as this isn't something done on a whim. So they'll have been meticulously planned ahead of the announcement, won't it? Oh, I'd say so, yeah. I mean, it's huge news. It's, it's, you know, it's absolutely huge news. I think uh, both on, you know, on the, I suppose on a professional business front and a personal basis, because they're intertwined not only... Uh, in a personal way with a grown-up family, but also through the foundation, mm. which is, you know, an extraordinary uh, um, job they've both done in, in, in supporting charities uh, around the world. Um, so, you know, it, 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 they would have... I mean, this was to be going on for a while. I see they, they're officially saying, uh, both of them, that, you know, they couldn't continue to grow together. After 27 years, it's, it's, it's like, as I heard this morning, the radio conscious and conflict again, but... It, it, I don't think it will end up, uh, it, you know, as a, a, any major battle. Normally, these type of uh, cases are governed by prenuptial agreements, which are not recognised uh, in this country. And mm. I'd be surprised if there's not a prenuptial agreement in place. You know what I mean? Whereby there's already an agreed division of assets. Didn't be. Bill Gates so famously refuse to have a prenup? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he did. But I, I, I still, I mean, I know that that's what he said publicly. But mm. I, I, I still would not be surprised if you hear that there was a prenup signed. I mean, I know that he, he has spoken about it in the past, but he wouldn't, but it wouldn't surprise me if... if, if you, you, I think at the end of the day, you'll find out very little about what's going on behind the scenes, if you know what I mean. I think that, you know, the, 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 he also strikes me. I, I mean, I've never met the man. I've been in uh, forums where he's spoken, but he strikes me as being a person who is very generous, and I, I couldn't see him fighting with Melinda over a division of an estate worth, uh, you know, 89 billion sterling or $124 billion. I, I, I think that if there's not a prenup in place, which wouldn't surprise me despite his comments, I still think it would be something that he would agree with. Uh, you know, it will be agreed and there won't be any bitter or, or battle in the court, you know. Uh, what do you think, is, or will there be any impact on the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation as a result I- of this? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think they're both very proud of the foundation. Mm. I think that they have done incredible work. I mean, uh, you know, we've heard last few months the donation of $250 million for COVID research. And, you know, they're they're very proud of the foundation. And I think it's extremely unlikely that um, the generosity and support that that foundation has shown over the years would suffer uh, because of this divorce. I think both of them are very much committed to it. And I think it will continue to do great work as it has done so to date. So obviously they're going to be looking at a settlement. Um, you know, Melinda, she worked at a high level for Microsoft. So how do the courts then calculate the, contr- the contribution to his value made by, by his wife? Is that well, going to be a difficult it, one? It, you know, as I say to you, I think, well, first of all, to answer your question, they will take into account all of the um, uh, um, input from both parties into uh, the growth of joint assets since they were married. That will always be done. So in other words, it, it, you know, the fact that she was, you know, working in Microsoft as a senior executive or whatever, what's more important than that is that she was his wife and therefore she has entitlements and rights as a wife and mother of his children. Uh, so the courts will look on each case 
individually. There's no ground rules. I mean, a lot of people used to use this phrase of 50-50. Well, that, that's not, a, you know, that, that's maybe a guiding principle in some cases. But mm-hmm. it, it doesn't apply across the board. So the courts will look not only, I mean, I think that, you know, her position within Microsoft um, for, for, for the time she was there will pale into insignificance when it comes to the fact that she's his wife and mother of his children. And that will play a much greater part in her entitlement. Uh, but, but don't forget, you know, even besides, even if Bill Gates was critical of a prenuptial agreement and said, and his unworthy said that, you know, he's not there of it, there, there are uh, premarital agreements and postmarital agreements which are not defined as prenuptial agreements that can apply as well. So I, I really don't think, I'd be very, very surprised if we see any battles in the courts here. I think this will all be done very calmly, very coolly behind mm. the scenes. And I think that, you know, I get the distinct impression from what one reads and hears about them that, you know, that it's not going to be a bitter divorce. I don't think for one minute there's going to be a, a trouble, um, uh, you know, in, in the courts, which would be the sort of matter of public comment in the media. I mm. think it'll be agreed quietly and then move on. For a high-powered celebrity couple like this, is it difficult um, or is there a challenge around trying to make settlements like this when there's so much of a focus on their private lives in the public domain? You know, I, 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 I mean, the answer generally would be yes, but in this case, I don't think so. I mean, you know, this is not a scandal. There's, mm. no, there's no suggestion that either party has been having an affair. And in America, they, they look at a more false system than here. Uh, which is, tends to favour a no-fault system. But there doesn't seem to be... I mean, it, 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 obviously, it goes without saying that any uh, celebrity or person in the public eye, it's more difficult um, it, when it comes to these sort of unfortunate situations. Of course it is. But when you look at the, the bitter divorces that have taken place with celebrity couples over the years, I don't foresee this as being won. I think this will be done, uh, you know, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a very straight uh, confidential way. I, I, I just don't see a fight uh, taking place here, and hopefully there won't. Uh, mm. But certainly what you say is right. Anybody in the public eye, when it comes to any aspect of their lives, it's more difficult because of the publicity and the surrounding public comment, etc. And anybody who's in that uh, area and field of celebrity, they know that anyway. That's the price they pay. And this is listed as one of the biggest divorces in history, coming in just after the Bezos divorce. Are the yes. rules different for these kinds of divorces? No, no, the rules would be the same as any divorce. What's mm. different is the, uh, the amount of money involved. <laughs> yeah. you, know, you know, the amount of money involved. But the rules would still be the same, you know. Um, and, and, and um, you know, yeah, you know I, I, I suppose the tendency now, I, I know I have, you know, one, maybe two clients who've gone through this in America who would be in, in the public, uh, you know, very much in the public uh, domain and, and in the public eye. And, I mean, the advice I would have given is, you know, to try and resolve it because, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's trying to get on with their lives. I mean, first of all, you want to try and avoid, you know, what can be very expensive legal fees. You want to avoid years of battles in the court. And really, you just want to try and help a couple get on with their lives as quickly as possible. And the best way to do that is by settlement of the mediation. And that applies in this country as much in America as, as anywhere else. Um, it's, you know, that's, that's, that's my view on the thing. Life is full of what-ifs, some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry, and some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? 
United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You were talking earlier there about prenups and I was just wondering, like, there, you said that there isn't really, it's not a common practice in Ireland. Is, is, are, are they legal here? Is it something no, that we no, could... No but, no, but I do have clients signing prenups right. uh, in Ireland and the reason they're doing that, and these would be people, you know, with, with you know, a serious amount of wealth. They're not doing it, as I say, with a, owning a house with a, that's a negative equity and, uh, and being supported by the state. It, it's really people with money who are marrying uh, into certain situations. I have had uh, calls to, um, in two, maybe three three cases I, I can think of where prenups have been signed. They're not recognised, but the reason they do it is that they're hoping that it might assist uh, uh, at some stage if there is a divorce in, 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 in influence in the court, but more importantly, that if legislation is subsequently introduced, that it will apply retrospectively, if you don't mean that. that mm. That's the possibility. But, um, but they're very, very common in America, for sure. And can you see them growing in popularity here? I mean, I can't see myself, well, I'm married now, so it's too late, but like, you know, I wouldn't really have an awful lot of wealth, but maybe somebody like PJ Coogan might have a lot more wealth than me. <laughs> so do you think it's something that uh, that might grow in popularity here in Ireland? Well, I think it might. I mean, you know, we, we've been very uh, liberal and, 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 and it's a good thing. And in, 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 I think it's a good trait in, in many aspects of um, life in Ireland. And, and we've moved on. I, I I think a prenup is certainly um, has its place. I mean, you know, I, I mean, I, I, I've seen a, a situation in America where an 88-year-old man who's extremely wealthy uh, three, four years ago married a lovely 25-year-old girl. Mm. And, I mean, you know, she was 26, sorry, 26. I mean, you know, it just doesn't make sense. And mm. the importance of a prenup in that is, is so important. I mean, he, he's... Fifth wife, who's this? I, I think she's twenty years younger than his youngest child. Wow! You know, so I mean, who would argue that a prenup is not uh, uh, beneficial or fair in those situations? Mm. You know, Absolutely. I mean, I think a prenup only applies. You know, it, you know, I think it should apply in certain cases, but they don't arise too often. Yeah, they're more common. I find. I mean, I, I haven't come across a case in in this country, you know, where one one particular set of circumstances stands out. Uh, that you'd say, oh my God, it's a pity they don't have a prenup here. But I've certainly seen them in America in, 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 in two, maybe three or four cases, you know, where a prenup plays a very important part. And I think to answer your question, will it come in and I think it will. 
when I'm not sure it, it, it could be a while off yet but I do see it coming at some stage Jerry, I hear you're missing Cork a lot in the lockdown <laughs> I am absolutely <laughs> devastated I mean I, I was just saying to Fergal there before the show that I used to make two trips to Cork a week yeah. and, and the mileage of my car I've noticed a big difference <laughs> I mean when you think about it it's a thousand kilometres approximately every week which was 4,000 a month which was 48,000 kilometres last year and I've gone nowhere near Cork. I'm missing it incredibly. Uh, I really am. My, my first weekend away is down there and enjoy coming home and uh, uh, seeing some friends. And But I certainly miss it now, I have to say. Brilliant. Well, sure, hopefully you'll be able to come back up and down the road again very soon. <laughs> Listen, Jared, yeah. thanks for joining us on the show this morning. 1850-715-996-083-396-9696. Some comments that are coming into us on businesses opening up. Kate says, I think the best model is appointments for people to come in and for the government to set standards for how many people are allowed in a certain area. I don't understand why they do not do that and would, it would be traceable. And if they break the rules, then you can shut them down. Dave in Blackrock says, fair play to that man who owns the gym. Where were the guards when there were hundreds of people congregating on the quays over the weekend? One rule for wealthy publicans and one rule for the poor. In relation to our conversation with Peter Horgan about dog poo, Rachel says, walking in Carrigaline at the moment and I just made a note of the amount of dog fowl I've seen along a small section of road. Six piles, mainly on grass verges by footpath. Two dogs roaming free also. I think people feel if it's not on path and on grass verges, Asher, that's fine. Bear says, morning Fiona, I have the answer. Put a doggy nappy on before you go walking. Problem solved. Thanks. I think they did that with the horses over in Killarney, didn't they? So uh, maybe that is a solution, Bear. Thank you for that. And Martha says, I always clean after my dog. It's not an issue. Problematic is what to do with a poo bag. There's a lack of bins to dispose it. Have you ever travelled with a stinky package in your car? I don't understand the bin policy in Ireland. Where are all the public bins? No bins on the beach, parks, trees or streets, sorry, why is that? And I think that's a massive complaint right around the city. I was talking to somebody the other day who was saying that, you know, when you're walking along and you've got a poo bag in your hand for the guts of your entire walk, it's not a very pleasant situation. So keep your comments coming in to us, 1850-715-996-0833-969696. Back after the break. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. Welcome back, Fiona Corcoran in for PJ Coogan today. Now, a caller has been in touch to say the Cork Carrick Tool Road. To be careful on there, there's a parcel on the road just before the slipway for Carrick Tool. So thanks very much for letting us know about that. Uh, just for any motorists in the area, please be careful. Now, with many businesses looking forward to getting their doors open in the next few weeks, what help is available for them in terms of supports and grants? Paul McGurk is head of the local enterprise office at Cork City Council and he joins me now. Good morning, Paul. Good morning, Fiona. Uh, Paul, can you talk us through what help is available for businesses? Yeah, uh, Fiona, if I could start for just uh, wishing well all the businesses that are starting back. I think we've all missed them and we look forward to supporting them. Uh, Yes, I suppose the local enterprise offices and the councils across the country have to try to support businesses uh, throughout the uh, pandemic and I suppose those supports have evolved and changed as the needs have evolved um, when the pandemic first started I suppose the priority really was for, to get businesses online so we've had some supports got website grant vouchers uh, called trading online vouchers and some training around that and that was the immediate need and I suppose we had well, I think 500 people 500 businesses available those last year um, and to be fair the public have responded to that by I suppose generally trying to shop local 
Um, and then there was cash flow was a big issue as well. So there was some restart grants given uh, um, out by the council rates department uh, with support from central government. And then throughout the, as, as we've had a couple of reopenings, we've uh, done workshops with various sectors on uh, how to be COVID compliant and how to re-engage with the customer and so on. Uh, so now as we come up to this one, we've had um, a support call for retailers called um, restarting your, rebooting your retail business. Uh, so we have a number of businesses working on that for the last few weeks. And I suppose the, probably the big one at the moment, because as we know, it's going to be uh, an outdoor summer, is uh, there is a grant scheme through the council's tourism department through, uh, from Falls Ireland. It's called an outdoor dining grant. So that's up to €4,000 um, for uh, restaurants and cafes and to, I suppose to facilitate outdoor dining through uh, canopies and windbreakers and so on. Have you been getting a lot of calls and queries from businesses? Uh, yes, I suppose last year in particular was uh, when the crisis first hit, but um, it's been fairly because I suppose this is our third reopening and people have got used to it, I suppose, and they were, I suppose, in a better position, I suppose. We've kind of, uh, as we all feel, I suppose, we've um, come around the final bend and looking at the finishing line, but uh, yeah, I suppose a lot of uh, businesses have put their systems in, in place because they're greatest, so the word resilience has been overused, but they're great at adapting and innovating, and uh, but they just can't wait to get to get open again. So you were talking there about outdoor dining, and I think that's been the big catchphrase really for the summer ahead: outdoor dining. So, like, um, for anybody who has a restaurant or a bar in the city, um, and, and they want to avail of this grant, what can they do? Yeah, um, if they go on the council's uh, website, there they'll they look at um, if, they, if they search on the outdoor dining grant, and um, there's an online application form. And um, so that's, um, we actually piloted this last year. Um, the, the council there, uh, a couple of councils around the country. Um, and this, this year, um, it's been, I suppose, rolled out across the country with, um, with Boys Ireland. So they just apply online. Um, it's actually retrospective uh, as well, going back to last April. But the criteria of what's allowable there is on that, that website. So if they go on there and they, or they can just give a call to the tourism team here and they can talk them through it as well. But we, we hope, and then there's a bigger scheme that the council will be applying for to for and to maybe um, look at a, a few streets and areas around the um, around the city. But you know, it proved quite successful last year. Uh, I think we all took to it. I know the Irish weather can be a bit unpredictable, but um, by and large, um, uh, you know, we, we it was dry enough last summer, and I think people are used to it at this stage. Anyway. Because I suppose like a lot of these businesses may have been closed or partially closed for the, the guts of a year and it's very difficult for them to to try and, and get back on their feet and, and, and open. So I suppose these supports are invaluable really at the minute, aren't oh, they? Absolutely. Look, and, and it is, it's, it's been unbelievably difficult for business. We all know that. Um, I suppose one of the other supports that's there um, is called um, a crisp payment. So uh, it would have been restart grant previously. So it had been a, a payment, a weekly payment depending on your turnover last year. And uh, what the government has announced is for, for two weeks during when business reopen, there'll be a double payment of that payment for those two weeks. So look, it's a small contribution. I suppose restarting the business isn't like turning on a tap. There's obviously costs involved and, and, and so on. But as I say, I think um, they're all anxious to get going and those kind of, kind of supports are crucial. And it's also crucial look that we as a public support those businesses. Um, you know, if we want them to continue, we need to, to support them. You've been speaking to a lot of businesses over the last couple of months. What kind of concerns do they have about trying to reopen and trying to keep going, having lost out in so much business over the last year? 
Yeah, look, it, it's it's been, uh, as I say, unbelievably difficult. Um, there, I suppose, there's a couple of things. I suppose, uh, getting in hospitality, probably seen um, getting staff back. Um, you know, um, visas and so on would be a particular issue. Mm. Um, but I suppose, I think there, uh, like anything, if you've been out of practice for a while, you're kind of anxious to get going. I think in the main, they're keen to get going, and I think they see uh, the positives um, that are going to come down the line. And it's look, it's like anybody running a business, it's you're always waiting to open the door, you're hoping that the, the customers will come back, but uh, and we, we hope they will, and I think they will as well. Obviously, when they do come back, if it is outdoor dining, they're still going to lose out on the money that they would normally make in a normal summer. Um, would they? Would these supports be available beyond the summer? Yeah, I suppose that's what uh, I suppose the government just announced last week that at the, by the end of this month they'll announce uh, how the package of, of supports will continue beyond the end of June at the moment, there till the end of June. And they've said that there won't be a cliff edge really, particularly in terms of the things like the CRISP payment, which is, which is a key payment or the employment um, wage subsidy scheme, which provides a subsidy for, empl- uh, for employers uh, for towards the wages. So it's very important because that's, that would be a huge concern of, of businesses that it can't just go... Uh, I suppose the tap can't be turned off on that but I think the government is talking at the moment about um, tapering these off gradually so you know I think the government has supported it along so um, the intimations are from from the government that that will continue I suppose Paul nobody expected for businesses to be closed for so long have you seen an increase in demand and calls for help as the months have gone on? Um, to be honest, most of it was last summer when it first hit. Um, it, it was actually that, that's when we would have we've had some supports in place around cash flow planning and financial management because, and we have some loan schemes as well. Um, and that's where most of the demand has been. Um, and then I suppose when you look at the big ticket items for cash items for business, there's a couple of main ones. The main one would be um, obviously wages, um, and that's where the employment wage subsidy scheme has. has come in and I think most uh, businesses would say that's been um, a great initiative and that's continued throughout that time and then there's been a rates waiver and uh, that's rates rate has been waived so they're kind of the big ticket items I suppose one of the issues would be depending on people's relationship with the landlord or whether they open, own their building or not whether retailer owns it it's, it's how uh, how much forbearance the landlord has given around that but uh, by and large it was, it was mainly last year but it's, it's kind of stayed, stayed steady since then I'd say people are business people are great at adapting and innovating I suppose the word pivoting as well um, and as I said one of the, the couple of things have helped cash flow for businesses depending on the business uh, if they have if their product is super, suitable for online and if they work the online really well um I was talking to a retailer last week who, in, two thir- in 2019, they sold 13,000 uh, online and last year they sold 140,000. So mm-hmm. it shows uh, that you know if, if they do work and where the product suits. And also look where people have been able to do takeaway as well. If, if it's a restaurant, that they've got some portion of, it's not small, but it's some portion of an income or some cash flow going forward for that. Yeah, Paul McGurk, listen, thanks so much for joining us on the show this morning. I think the message there is there will be help and support, but as we know, it's been so tough for businesses. With many hoping when they reopen in the next few weeks, they remain open. You're listening to The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. Just going back to the Bill and Melinda Gates story and the news that broke overnight that they're to divorce after 27 years of marriage. Jess got in touch to say, Melinda's book, The Moment of Lift, is very good if anyone is looking for a lockdown read. Thanks very much for that, Jess, and we'll 
have a look at that myself. Sounds good. Now, uh, two transition year students from Bandon have made it through to the finals of the National Enterprise Awards. Kate O'Connor and Emily Barry join me on the line now to tell me more about their business idea. Good morning, ladies. Welcome to the Opinion Line. Hi, thanks so much for having us. You're very welcome. Um, Kate, I'll start with you. So the product that you came up with is called Hook or Strike. What is that? Yeah, so um, we designed a handmade multi-purpose sports rack and it's suitable for holding like hurlies, tennis rackets, hockey sticks, um, badminton rackets and even like walking sticks or umbrellas for like your granny. It's really suitable for like all ages and um, um, people and it's really helpful for GA players and everything getting out the door for training have everything ready at the door. It's a wall-mounted product um, with a wooden base and 10 um, pegs. And how did you come up with that idea? Um, we came up with the idea because we're, we're both um, play camogie and loads of sports and we found it a big problem in our own houses that there was always GA gear thrown around in the corners mm. um, of our homes and it was really like inconvenient and stuff. So we wanted to find a solution to a problem. And so did you do a little bit of research on this or were you just going by your own experiences at home? We were going by our own experiences. We also did a survey to ask people, like, would they buy a product and do they have the same problem as we have in our homes? And how does it work? What's the idea behind it? Um, so you, hang, you can hang your slitters and your hurlies and any sports gear up on it, really. There's te- it's 10 wooden pegs in a wooden base and it hangs on the wall. So it hangs really anything you want to get your clutter up off the floor and save space. Brilliant. Emily, is that you, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> um, listen, um, you won the, uh, you already won an award in West Cork and you're now in the national final of the Enterprise Awards. Um, what was your reaction when you heard the news? You must have been blown away with that, were you? Oh, it was unbelievable. We couldn't really believe it. We kind of lost a bit of hope during it, but when they announced it was us, oh, it was unbelievable. You couldn't describe it, really. Why did All you lose ha- a bit of hope? <laughs> I don't know, it was, kind of, it was the last award and we just thought, oh, maybe it wasn't for us. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and what was the reaction like from your friends, your family, your your the people in your area? Oh, they were all delighted and thrilled for us because we put in a load of hard work. And yeah, the national final now is on the 14th of May and we're really looking forward to that. And what way does that work now? I presume it's all on Zoom or... <laughs> Yeah, I think it's like online on YouTube and Facebook online, like a webinar, and then everyone just has to tune into it. Brilliant. And how popular is the business proving to be? Have you managed to sell a number of them already? Yeah, sales are coming in every day and they're increasing every day. We've got sales nationally and internationally as far as New York and here locally as well. We can't complain at all about the number of sales. And um, when you got a sale from somebody over in New York, what was your reaction to that? Oh, it, we never dreamt of something like that. We thought maybe here locally in Bandon, as far mm. as the sale we get, even up in like Donegal and stuff, we didn't never believe we'd sell something up there. That's brilliant. So, like, are, what's the plan for the future with it? If, are you going to take it further? Or are you going to make this into like a, a business that you know a lasting business, a permanent business? Um, yeah, we we launched another product called Hold the Beat. It's um, for holding musical instruments. Um, instruments. It can hold like violins and banjos and ukuleles and stuff, and that's going well as well. Oh, fantastic! And how much support have you had from your school? So, 
our school is um, very good. They're um, great support and our two business teachers, Miss McCarthy and Miss Odell, they've been a great help. And uh, so remind us again, when is the national final? The national final is on the 14th of May. Um, Have you seen any of the competition yet? (laughs) Um, We've seen a few online and they look really tough and they look really good as well. So they're probably looking at you saying the same thing, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, hopefully. Brilliant. And uh, so I suppose like um, when you know and if you come back, you might be able to get back in touch with us and let us know and have a chat with us about your uh, your, your Enterprise Award, your National Final Enterprise Award. Yeah, we'll definitely um, get in touch with you again and we'll see how it goes for National Final. And we're really excited about that. Brilliant, brilliant. Listen, thanks so much, girls, for joining us this morning. That was Kate O'Connor and Emily Barry. Hooker Strike is the name of the company and their transition year students from Bandon. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Welcome back to the final hour of Tuesday's Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. Fiona Corker in here for PJ Coogan today. Now, uh, for my next guest, ME or chronic fatigue syndrome has overshadowed much of her life. Sarah Ward has now written a book, Fatigue, One Woman's Recipe for Living with ME. Sarah, very good morning to you. Hi, how are you, Fiona? I'm very well. (laughs) How are you this morning? I'm good, thank you very much. Good. So, Sarah, uh, can we just start, first of all, what is chronic fatigue syndrome? Because, I mean, I suppose a lot of us would say, oh, God, I'm wrecked. But like, it's, it's a lot more than that, isn't it? Uh, it is, yeah. yeah. This is a, a totally totally different ball game. Um, what it does is it, 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 it's like a bone-crushing fatigue, you know. I mean, I was 33 when I got this, um, and I'd travelled, and I'd had a child and everything. So I knew what fatigue was, but... This, this stops you in your tracks. Um, so what it is, is it's a, it's a neurological condition and it affects your immune system and it affects your cognitive functions like your memory and your speech and everything. So when you get, when you get over, like say for example, I would, if I was to do something, um, like at the moment I'm on crutches, I broke my leg because the limbs would be weak and they might, I, I'd fall over and stuff. So I, I broke my leg and just using the crutches is wiping me out. So uh, once that happens, I can feel my immune system dropping. And my, my chest, I, I got asthma from this condition. So my chest is weaker and I can feel I have to do very little because if I overdo it, my chest and my immune system will crash. And I would basically end up on steroids and antibiotics and everything to try and balance that again and stop it from going into something like pneumonia for example. And Sarah can we just take you back to when you first noticed that something wasn't right. You said that uh, you had been travelling before that you have a child so how did you know that this was different? Well it happened I was swimming for, I was swimming actually 50 lengths two days before in a swimming pool before this happened. I was very fit very athletic. I love to ski. I love to bike. I love to hike. I love to, you know, I mean, I worked full time. I had a child. I would take my child off for the day or play football with him or whatever. He was three at the time and very active. Um, uh, so basically, 
I was in work and I got a cough. Mm. And it was very, very different. It ripped through my chest and I knew something was was very different. So I went to the doctor and he gave me antibiotics and steroids. And then after a couple of weeks, uh, I ended up in hospital. Um, and the immune system had completely crashed. Uh, they didn't know what was happening. Um, and after a second opinion, it ended up that I had two broken ribs from the from the coughing and double pneumonia in both lungs and I was fighting for my life. And when you heard chronic fatigue syndrome as a diagnosis, did you know what it was? Were you aware of it? What was your reaction to that? Yeah, it was It was about, uh, after a second bout of pneumonia and I knew that something terrible was going on because I couldn't do anything. And I went, I was advised to go to see this ME doctor specialist in in, in in the regional hospital at the time. He knew a lot about it and he diagnosed me and he tried to explain what it was and stuff. And I was like, okay, so how do I, my first reaction is, okay, how do I fix this? Mm. Um because I'm very, I'm very proactive like that. I like to know what can I do to fix this and, and get on with my life. But he said this is going to take a bit of time. You have to take it easy, and you have to, you have to listen to your body and do what it tells you. Um, and, and basically, I've been doing that for 20 years. But I've learned how to manage it through mm. trial and error over the 20 years, and that's why I wrote the book. Is because. I wanted other people to learn from my mistakes and get the help they need fast so that they can not, you know, have a better quality of life. And what kind of lessons did you learn along the way yourself? Like, how are you able to manage it? Well, pacing is the most important thing. I can't stress it enough. Pacing is, is, is phenomenally important. You have to You have to do things very slowly. Like, even the book, I, I started off doing the book for 15 minutes every day. Um, anything I do, it takes me at least five times longer than, than anyone else. Um, I don't do very much. I, I'm in gear, for, first and second gear most of the time, uh, if not all the time. And basically, uh, I used to be in sixth gear, fifth and sixth gear. I mean, I would be the, the life and soul of any party. I'd talk mm. all day. I was dancing with my friends all night. You know, I mean, now the dancing is like... Very, very rare. Maybe mm. an odd occasion. If you go, have to go to a wedding, I would basically pace it out, and I would maybe do uh, five minutes with a gentle kind of a movement on the floor, like kind of thing. Yeah, I'm not going like I used to. Like you know, everything is completely moderated. So, like um, obviously, that has an, an impact on you physically. But what about mentally? Yeah, that was a that was a tough one. Um, I didn't I didn't find it easy for the first eight years and that's when I had to reach out and ask for help um, and I did reach out and I got help in the, in the form of uh, person-centered therapy with a lady called Louise Q and I literally had to redesign my whole thought process um, I used to find it very difficult not being able to do stuff and that wasn't serving me at all um, whereas now I, I literally praise myself for anything I do even if it's just a five minute walk um, I say, right, I had my walk done for the day. That's all I'm able for, and that's okay. Um, learning to be kinder to yourself, more accepting, um, being uh, kind of, you know, just understanding that, you know, this is, you have to mind this because there's other people in your life that it affects other than yourself. And it affects my husband and my, mm. and my son. 
Um, because they don't, like, over the years, they've watched me. I mean, my son, son would watch me with the asthma, uh, choking for, and coughing literally violently in the house, having asthma attacks and stuff. Um, all that would have a, an effect, you know, through the years. Um, so you have to learn to say, right, okay, I'll do this to be the best I can for them and for myself, obviously, but you want to be the best you can for yourself. So even these days now when I, I broke, I've broken my leg, I'm doing nothing. I'm in the bed right now, like, you know, and I'm not even going up and down the stairs, take the hell of a lot out of me. So I just don't do it very often. Um, I did it on Sunday and I haven't, I, I'll probably do it again tomorrow. Just, you know, just do as little as I can. So it can recover and it can heal and then... I can get back to doing my, maybe start off slow then again. Once you get a knock, which is quite regular, you get a knock, you start off with your couple of minutes walk, two, three minutes, then up to five, you know, and then gently listen to your body. And if you're not able to do 20 minutes of a walk, do five minutes, Mm. do two minutes, do one minute, whatever your body can do, but be gentle. And whatever you want to do, have it and have it again. Because... Your body will have, there's a thing called PME, which is post-exertion molasses. And that is a prime, um, a prime thing in ME, which means every exertion you make, whether it be even talking here for the 20, 25 minutes, you'll be fatigued after it. I did a, I did a, a talk the other day on, the, on a, another thing for an hour and I was wrecked for the whole day, the next day. Do you know, it, it, it takes management and strict boundaries, really. But if you do that and you pace, you will improve your mm. quality of life and that will improve your, your mind frame. And, and you look at things different. You, you're grateful for what you can do and you appreciate, even looking out today now, I can see the blue sky and you look for the good things in life. And, and you will have days that literally are, are they're so, they suck. There's no way of saying it. They're, they're, they're bad, mm. right? And, you t- and, and, and even the day I broke my, my ankle, uh, my son rang me that day like, and said, how are you? And I told him what I did. And he says, right, okay, have today, have a moan, but then tomorrow we'll talk and we'll, 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 we'll move on. We'll see how we can do to get you stronger and stronger. And so you're allowed your moan for the day or so, um, but then you have to turn it around and say, right, what can I do now to help myself and help my frame of mind and help my body? Because your frame of mind will help your body because any tension or negativity you feel in your mind or your body affects you. So mm-hmm. if you can be, if you can have a better outlook on life and look out at the sun, the, the blue sky today and say, God, it is a beautiful day. You know, I'm grateful that I am here. I'm grateful that... I, I am alive and I, I, I can do X, Y, and Z. No matter how limited that is, I can still do it. And there are people out there who can't do what I do, do you know? Is it a common illness? There is 17 million plus around the world with this condition. Okay. So it's, and it's getting bigger every day because of COVID. You've COVID long haulers and they're getting diagnosed with ME all the time and like I got the mysterious virus overnight they're getting like with COVID they're not recovering their immune system is still is still fighting this virus in their body even though the virus might be gone the immune system doesn't turn off so basically your body's working extra hard so you're like you're in a, a, a your body is fatigued all the time like. and did you feel overwhelmed when you got the diagnosis 
I, I, I did. I, I basically, it's, it's a very difficult lifestyle to uh, adhere to. Mm. You know, it's far more more strict than the nuns ever tried to get me to behave to yeah. um, during the day. But um, it is. It's very difficult, especially for someone who, and a lot of people with any are very active and very, very. They work full time, or they. They're goers, they're doers, as my specialist would say. Mm. Um, so it's very difficult to adjust, and it takes a lot of work to, and a lot of help to to change that and reframe your mind and reframe how you're you're thinking, so that you can you can design a life that suits your condition, so that you're 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 doing something. Like I was saying to a friend of mine this morning, even listening to podcasts while I'm in the bed is great. Um, if I'm if I'm able to sit out in the sun, which I would be if my leg wasn't at me, you know, mm. just just taking it easy, getting your vitamin C, getting your light, all those things, you know, you can do for yourself that will help you. Your food is very important. What you eat, your, your food is medicine. It helps you to make your body work a little better and, and help you to keep your immune system up. And Sarah, you've been living with this now for almost 20 years. Why did you decide to write your book, Fatigue, One Woman's Recipe for Living with ME, now? Why did you decide to bring it out now? Well, I, what I did was I, I've been running a, 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 a group here in Limerick for the last 10 years, right? Mm. And people were asking me, like, oh, what do I do this and how do I do this? And, you know, and I would be talking to people on phones and stuff um, and they'd be asking me for help and they didn't know what to do and I couldn't tell them everything obviously because um, physically I can't be I do an awful lot so about five years ago I decided to to uh, my son actually said it to me why don't you write a book you got to help these people and you can't do it yourself You're, you've only got limited capacity so if you write a book at least you can tell them what what they can do to help themselves and they have it there at their fingertips so about four years ago, uh, about four years ago, I suppose, I started writing it and I finished it there about, uh, I suppose, about two years, two and a half, two years ago. Mm. And then I was told to make it personal. Um, so I made it personal. And then by the time you finish with the editing, because I do everything so slow, mm. it takes it takes a lot of time. And then the graphic designer. So it, it was supposed to come out about a year ago, right. but actually it's only coming out now because It takes me a long time to get anything done, basically, do you know? So you must have had a real sense of um, pride and achievement when you had it finally published and you see it then for sale. Well, when when I held it in my hand, I couldn't believe it, you know. (laughs) I really couldn't because it was such a long road um, to do it. And it was, you know, but I was... I was pleased because now I know that people can get the help they need on a day-to-day basis, which when you go into a doctor's office, they only have the limited amount of time to tell you and they, they, don't, they don't have the knowledge about this. It's a very complex condition mm. and not everybody understands it. Now, there are huge developments now going on with it, um, you know, and there are lots of, like, the, the Congress in the U.S. have just... Um, Announced that they're they're allocating 1.1 billion to this. Um, there's are countries in Europe who have allocated one country alone has allocated nearly 29 million to this. They want to find out right what's going on with this fatigue. Uh, what is it? Why isn't why are people with COVID now getting it? And people after SARS got it. And people after another illness, you know, an outbreak of something got it before that in the 80s. And, mm. 
they want to know it right now. It's about time we figure this out um, because it's serious. Look at the amount of people it's affecting. Look at the economy it's affecting. It's costing the exchequer a lot of money. Um, it's just not funny anymore, do you know, and they want to get to the bottom of it. So there are huge things happening. And I think myself that there's more hope now than there ever was that there'd be a cure. And I hope so, because I'm only young. I'm only in my early 50s. Mm. I'd love to get rid of this and, and, and get back to even doing, uh, even if I got to ski down one slope of a, of a, of a mountain, I'd be happy, you know. Um, I, I, I'd love to have a more active life that I can keep up with people um, and not have to rest regularly throughout the day, you know. Um, it, it, it's very limiting and I do it because I know it, it, I have to recharge the battery. Mm. Um, and, and I do it because it's what's best for me. Um, and 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 but it will be a nice day when I don't have to do that, you know. And what advice would you give to somebody who um, just gets a diagnosis now of chronic fatigue syndrome, or even somebody who is experiencing long COVID in the last couple of months? What advice would you give to them? Uh, well, the first bit of advice I give them is to listen to their body, right, and really listen and ask them, ask themselves, what do I need today? What can I? What am I able to do? And, and, and abide by that because your body will tell you. The other thing I would say is pace. Anything you need to do, if you're feeling fatigued, pace. If you, if you want to do something, have it at least, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then do it very, very gently. Don't be pushing yourself just because you want to please other people. Um, that's not going to work because you're going to get the post-exertion molasses, which is the, 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 the body will, it, this thing bites back hard. Mm. I, 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 I am a very, very strong individual person. I, I was always very uh, free-spirited and lively and strong. And, and uh, you know, I tried to fight this. And every time it knocked me back on my, uh, my, my derriere, you know. Yeah. Um, and then I'd be back to square one, starting at one, pacing again from one minute walk to two minutes. And it's, you know, you have to stick within the boundaries because otherwise... You know, people don't understand completely what 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 this does to the body. People look at me and say, "Ah, oh, Jesus, she, she looks great," mm-hmm. you know. And then I call, she might say, "Oh, yeah, she looks like she's smiling, she looks well." But sure, anyone could look well if they put on a bit of makeup <laughs> and they sit for an hour, you know. And yeah. then they they don't know that that I go into my bed afterwards and I sleep for three hours, you know. Um, did you have many people say to you, "Oh, sure, I'm I'm tired all the time as well"? Ah, yeah, they do, but they don't they don't understand. Do you yeah. know, and that's okay. That's okay. I mean, that that you know, people don't understand, and I probably wouldn't have understood myself when I before I had this. You know, mm. um, you know, I, I I it's okay. You know, and I I don't I don't. Um, you know, if they if they say that, that's just out of not knowing. Um, it's the nasty remarks that aren't nice. You know, the yeah. you know, I mean, people can be cruel, and and that's not all right. Um, I think that people have to think before they talk, and I think that they have to have a little bit of understanding and compassion. And if they don't understand, let them go away and and look up, look it up, and just you know. Mm. And there's one simple question that you can ask if you don't understand. And that's, what can I do for you? Or how can I help? You know, um, I was watching a program there the other night and it was this guy who has Alzheimer's. Um, and it was, it was just a regular TV program. 
and it was about two weeks ago. And the, the guy had Alzheimer's, and he was imagining his ex-wife at the window, so he was looking at the window, and his grandson was sitting at the table reading a book or whatever he was doing, or writing or whatever. And uh, he said, are you all right, Grandad? And the Grandad said, yeah, 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 I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. And he was very agitated, you know, and he said, he got up and he went over to the Grandad and he said, are you seeing it again? And he said, yeah, yeah. And he said, what can I do to help you? And the Grandad said, my God, he said, just saying that and knowing that you know that I'm not going crazy is enough. You know, just understanding mm-hmm. is enough. And and that, and that's it in a nutshell, you know. Just having the understanding to know that, yes, you know, the person is limited and they'll do what they can, but after that, you know, leave them rest. Mm-hmm. Leave, them, leave them be. If they say they can't do something, let them off. It's not going to affect you. You can go on and do whatever you want, you know. And um, there's times here when Jim and Sam years ago would come in and say, you know, we're going out for dinner or whatever. And I just wasn't up to it. And I'd say, listen, lads, can you, I'm just going to rest. You go, have a good time and come back and bring me a doggy bag or whatever you want, you know, and tell me all about it. Yeah. I, I'm fine. I just need to rest. I, I can't do any more today. You know? Sarah, the book is called Fatigue, One Woman's Recipe for Living with ME. Where can we get the book? Um, it's it's on Amazon. You it's on Amazon dot uh, com and Amazon de, which is the German site. And it's if you if you type in fatigue Sarah Ward W A R D E, you'll find it in there. Um, there's a little bit of a problem with with the if you're in England, it's fine. You can get it on on the English site, but with Brexit, I think Ireland has, mm-hmm. has had a few problems. But Amazon.com, you'll get it, no problem. Brilliant. Fascinating to talk to you this morning. Thanks so much for sharing your story from your bed this morning, Sarah. Uh, thanks for joining us on the Opinion Line on Cork's 96 FM this morning. Back after the break. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96 FM. Welcome back, Fiona, in for PJ today. Now, a 17-year-old from Cork has become the first Irish teenager to run 200 kilometres. Flabater Fares is an ultra runner and has just run from Cork to Galway. And he joins me now on the line. Flabater, congratulations, first of all. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you very much. How are you feeling? <laughs> I'm feeling great after it, to be honest. Very good. How are the legs? <laughs> uh, I expected them to be worse. Uh, they're actually not as bad as I thought. Right, so just tell me a little bit about uh, the run. 200 kilometres, it's a huge distance. H- how long did it take you to do? So the the whole run took me 26 hours and 54 minutes, but I was really on the road for roughly around two and a half days. Right, so tell me, when did you start? I started on Wednesday morning and I, I finished like Friday evening. Right, okay. And was that? And so like, were you taking breaks or was it like, say, running for six hours non-stop? So I was taking breaks each 50 kilometres. I'd take roughly a two to three hour break just to to sleep, to eat, get anything I need to do for the next 50 kilometres. And what was the route? So it was was Cork City to Mallow, Mallow to Charlottesville, Charlottesville to Buttervin, and then Limerick, Limerick to Clare, and then Galway City. It was was a tough one. Yeah, I mean, I can't even imagine. (laughs) Yeah, passing through everywhere. So what were the challenges that you faced? Like, was it the the like the like terrain? Was it the, trying to keep the energy levels up? It was, yeah, mainly not to, like, keep my pace, just not try to get too excited. I was, I was getting really excited at the start, 
from my starting point. So I was just trying to keep one pace and just go for it. And mentally, like, how did how were you able to keep going? Were you because I mean, I know, like, I did a half marathon one time, and I was only talking to somebody about it the other day. And when I got past, <laughs> was it the seven mile mark? And I knew I had another five miles to go. It was just that like mental drive to keep going. Did you have a lot of that? Or yeah, so during this training camp, I've been training for for ten weeks. So my mental side of it was it was tough, but. Uh, my main, I think, uh, I, I just have a strong mentality, to be honest. Yeah. So when I was going, I have to have a, have a strong mentality going into this run. And I just kept kept calm and just focused on just finishing this run. And were you a runner already? Have you been, I know you said there you were training for 10 weeks, but is this something that you do a lot? Uh, no, I'm actually not a runner. I'm an MMA fighter. So this is... This isn't like it's not my strong point, and I I just done it. <laughs> so why did you do it though? Like, why why did you decide to do this? So last in 2020, I ran 100 kilometers from Cork to Limerick. Right. So I was like 2021. I wanna I wanna challenge myself. I wanted to see how my body can can do and how how will I feel? Like I wanted to do this run and see how how is my body gonna feel after this and just experience experiment with it. So I said, why not? I'm going to do 200 kilometers to Galway. <laughs> yes, why not? <laughs> just yeah, like why not? Just trade And so like now that you've done that, do you have another challenge ahead? <laughs> so actually, 2022, I'm going to be doing 300 kilometers. That's my one. <laughs> that's, that's, that's it there. So where's that? Cork to where? <laughs> uh, I actually, I haven't, I have nothing planned there. I was actually just thinking of, while I was doing the 200 kilometers, I was I was telling my brother I was like what's like what's my challenge going to be next after this 200k I'm after like what's next so I was like I'm actually going to try 200 but I haven't got a spot yet I was just it was just a, an idea in my head Well best of luck with that now Flavitar you did raise money for a charity in this race so just tell me a little bit about that So I was uh, raising money for Irish Cancer Society and uh, I raised over 2000 euro well done. Yeah. And can people still donate? Yeah, if you go on any of my social media, the link in my bio. And I, I just want to give a big shout out to everyone who already donated that's listening to this. Thank you very much. Yes, thanks indeed. And was there any reason why you decided to choose that charity? Uh, I was looking at a lot of charities before this, uh, before the run. And Irish Cancer Society, they took my... They're doing very good stuff to the community mm-hmm. around. So I said I'd like to do it for them. Well, well done. And to remind our listeners, you're only 17. <laughs> yeah, I'm only 17. Uh, I'm, I just broke a record for the youngest guy to run 200 kilometres. And actually, 2020, I, I broke a record for doing 100 kilometres at the age of 16. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, so, congratulations to you. That's a brilliant yeah. achievement. <laughs> Listen, Flavitar, thanks so much for talking to us and hopefully you've been able to rest over the last few days and good luck with everything else and, and your new challenge as well. Thank you very much. Thank you. That's incredible. That's Flavitar Flares after running 200 kilometres in 26 hours and 54 minutes. Fair play to him. Fancy getting the kids and the grandparents all together for a big family sing-song. Well, the new project that begins today and runs every Tuesday through May is set to get more and more of us belting out a tune or two and it's part of the Bialtana Festival 2021. It's called Family Song Time and it's a series of online singing sessions that will see families around Cork and beyond joining in. And to tell us more, we can speak with Alan 
Leach of Chamber Choir Ireland. Alan, good morning. Good morning to you in Cork. I was just down there at the Cork Festival. What a wonderful time I had. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, it was great yeah. to have it. And it's great to see festivals actually taking place, even though they're yeah. virtual, but uh, it's brilliant. And tell us about Family Song Time. So it begins today. Um, it begins today. Yeah. Running every 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 Tuesday. So if you want to just if you just Google Music Generation Family Song Time, that'll come up and it'll bring you to a link and you just click in. It's all free. And we're trying to get children to sing with their elderly relatives or their senior relatives. And Bielton is the wonderful month of May and it's all about celebrating our seniors and our elders in society. So back in January and February, um, we did some flat COVID sessions for young children. And I was just listening to my own family and my yeah. own sister with four kids was pulling their hair out of my head <laughs> saying, I can't do this homeschooling. Yeah. And then I was also looking at my younger nieces and nephews. And I don't have any children myself, but looking at them and thinking this time last year, some children were traumatised by, don't touch your granny, don't go into your granny's house, don't kiss your grand-aunt, don't kiss your grandfather, don't touch him. And now... Now it's time, you know, most of the seniors have been now vaccinated. Now it's time to start thinking about, let's bridge that gap again. So we were doing these flash sessions in COVID and part of the joy of it was we could see through Zoom that we could see that a lot of the mummies in the background were dancing away to the song while they were getting the dinner ready and the child was on Zoom. And we did some really wonderful songs that really got children moving and dancing and singing and, you know, just yeah. reacting to the music. So we thought, you know what, Bialton's coming up and we were inundated. Now, we, we spread this out to several counties through Music Generation in January and February until the kids went back to school, basically. And we were inundated afterwards from teachers, particularly, saying, could you continue it on? But we can't sing. No one can sing in school at the moment just because of COVID. And mm. that's one of, one of our vows to people is we're not going to mention the C word. So we're, we're just going to get people singing. And they're going to be songs from for... I'm very interested in looking at, at older people and seniors singing with younger people, yeah. you know. And we have a couple of great guests coming in from Cork. So today it'll be myself and the wonderful Theresa McKenna from Drogheda. So we'll be both teaching, and that's week one and week four. But in week two, I'll be there as well, and we're bringing in the most talented Fiona Keller from West oh, Cork. She's a fantastic channel singer with a specialty in early learning um, for early children, for young children. And then on week three, we're bringing in the magnificently talented and inspirational Gary McCarthy, the rap guru of Ireland. And I'm very very, very attractive to see Granny's rapping. So, <laughs> Love to see that myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we're doing some really cool some songs that the seniors will know, and then we'll a couple of songs that the juniors will know. So would you like to hear about a couple of the songs? Yes, please tell us. Yeah. Our main song is going to be the most delectable Doris Day singing Que Sera. And we're going to teach that to the young children because we reckon they won't know it. So that's going to be our main song. We're also going to pop into another great song, Itsy Bitsy Teeny Weeny Yellow Polka Dot Bikini. <laughs> and these are songs of endurance, you know? Yeah. Like, um, uh, so, like, she was afraid to get out of the water, but she did find a way. She found a way to move on. And Que Sarah, the Sarah is the same thing. So yeah. there's a sort of moral message there, but we're not going to run that, ram that down anyone's throat. We'll just let them sing along, you know. Yeah. So it's going to be... And that's, then we have some modern ones like Can't Stop the Feeling and Hold On. A couple of little 
fun surprises thrown in. So there's going to be some something there for everybody. If you're an, an accomplished musician and having studied in Cork and worked in the School of Music for six years, I know how talented the people at Cork are. And some of my strongest musical memories are from the wonderful Cork and the beautiful opera house there. And just making making music with people. I had some great years teaching up in Farnery and some of the best work I've ever done dealing with the families in, in Farnery and Loch as well. And I think so, one of the things that we've all missed so much is live music and, you know, that being able to yeah. get together and have a big sing-song with the family or with the Absolutely. friends. You know, it's and like... You know, Irish people are we are very musical innately. So it wasn't until I travelled with my both of my families, my mum and dads are all musical. So I took all that for granted and presumed that everybody else was the same. Until I went I went to live work, live and work in Spain and also the United States and I realised that you you know when you can tell when people sing happy birthday in a restaurant, no the Irish people would be in tune. Well, if you go to Spain, and you know, the Spanish have amazing rhythm. Yeah. But I did find that about 40% of the kids were singing happy birthday to you, were speaking it, you know, yeah. like in a drone. So, so we don't have that issue here. I reckon in Ireland that, you know, there's probably less than 1% of the population are tone deaf, I would reckon. So, you know, off the top of my head. Yeah. Especially in Cork, the, the lovely lilting accent there and the beautiful valleys and the hills and so it's musical. And actually, just before we finish, can I pay a particular homage to the wonderful Cork soprano, Cara Sullivan, uh, who's yes. Lord of Mercy, who's no longer with us. What a legend, you know. And also, I studied with the same teacher, Mr. Robert Bear, Bobby Bear, who also passed in the yeah. last year, you know. So two great, big mammoth talents from Cork. But there's plenty more coming up behind them. I know that. There fact. is indeed. And Alan, remind us how we can get involved. So you just go on, go online, and just if you type in um, Music Generation Family Song Time, and that's going to bring you to a link, and then you'll see a little cartoon of a family sitting around the piano. It's quite funny. Yeah. And then just scroll down, it'll say Connect Me, and you go click on that button, and it's going to bring you to a site called Eventbrite. Now, people are saying, oh, no, you have to pay for that. It will say things for people, but that will also say this is a free event. So you just, because we're child protection, we can't just have randomness turning up. You need to register. So your registering is basically your name and your email address. So that we have some, we can verify that you are actually interested in the project. So we just always have to keep a little gentle eye out for the protection of these children. You know what I mean? Brilliant. Well, hopefully there'll be a lot of families now having fun with that. Alan Leach, thanks so much for joining us this morning on the Opinion Line. Now, after the break, are you planning a new wardrobe for coming out of lockdown? I'll be chatting to Sharon Huggard of The Style Coach, and that's next. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Quartz 96 FM. Welcome back to Tuesday's Opinion Line. Now, as shops, restaurants and other businesses prepare to open up, one thing we might all be considering is our wardrobes and the fact that it's probably time to get out of the tracksuit after a year or so of lockdown. Sharon Huggard of The Style Coach joins me to chat more about this. Sharon, you've been writing about this in today's Echo. Good morning. Hi, Fiona. How are you? Thank you so much for having me. It could be... um driving and all that in our tracksuits. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, this is it. We've all been at home for so long in our tracksuits yeah. and our runners and we might put on a fancy top if we have to do a Zoom call. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> so people are very comfortable in that kind of, um, in that kind of, in, the, in that attire. So now they need to kind of start thinking about wearing the, the normal kind of clothes to, to go out in. So yes. what kind of advice have you got for people? 
So I suppose firstly I would say to people, you know, people kind of say, you know, who are you telling me to get out of my taxes? Again, mm-hmm. it's not, if, you know, if you are very happy in your leggings and all the rest of it, that's totally fine. But I just kind of, the sense I'm getting is, you know, from, you know, from talking to people is that after 14 months of it, we're ready. You know, we just kind of are ready to kind of um, come out, yeah, <laughs> like yeah. to emerge from, you know, in, and wear actual clothes. Um, because, you know, I suppose, you know, leggings and all the rest are very comfortable. And that's what, I suppose, we got such shock when, when this happened initially, that it was kind of, we just kind of went into this kind of survival mode mm. um, and kind of protection. And we all just wanted to be safe and comfortable. And I suppose that's one thing as well, that the comfort isn't going to be going anywhere in the next, you know, anytime soon. We're not ready to be, you know, kind of um, get into the spanks yeah, <laughs> or yeah. the heels just yet. Um, you know, the comfort is king, but you can still do it um, with, you know, you can still do it with, with a little bit of style for, for yourself, and it's for yourself. You look, you know, at the moment we're dressing for ourselves, mm. we're not dressing for anybody else, and it's just a little bit of difference that it makes to you, um, and how you feel, and your kind of, you know, your shoulders go back, and you, you just feel kind of, I suppose, a little bit of normality kind of coming back, and a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel. You were saying there in your article that before COVID, many of us would have used our clothes as a tool to separate the lifestyles. And I suppose that Completely. wouldn't have, that would have been done yeah. even like not even thinking about it, not even aware of it. And Absolutely. I know myself, like I'd come home from work and throw on maybe the pajamas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you know, but I suppose for a lot of people, they didn't, there has been no boundary there for the last yeah. year. Yeah, like I would find that like, even people, you know, there's no um, even drive home, no commute, no downtime, there's literally no time. <laughs> yeah. No kind of, that 20 minutes, half an hour, and you can kind of be stressed. And then when you get home, you know, you kind of, you're not even up the stairs and you kind of have, you know, the, the bra off. Right there. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and you know, there's a cozy clothes on. That's, I suppose that is kind of that distinction that you're now on, you know, kind of family time or downtime. And we don't, we don't have that now. And I suppose, you know, one of the points as well is, you know, we are working from home and at the moment, you know, you are kind of on, on a very important Zoom call one minute and then five minutes later you're emptying the dishwasher or you're putting out a you know, line of clothes mm. or you're doing the shopping or whatever, calling to see maybe a relation. So look, it is the way we do or go about our daily business has changed as well. So, um, so as I say, comfort is key, but you can still kind of do it with a little bit of style. You feel kind of a little bit, um, you know, a little bit better, a little bit of a pep in your step. Mm. Are we seeing a change in trends for, um, you know, styles that we can look forward to over the next couple of months that take comfort into consideration? Like I know that we are we're trying to get out of tracksuit pants, but maybe like are there pants now that are being designed to be yeah. more comfortable for workwear? Yeah. yeah. And that is, I mean, before we, we kind of bought it for, you know, I wear that way. We were, you know, we great, you know, kind of a wardrobe for we this lavish lifestyle yeah, <laughs> we were probably yeah. never going to have. It was kind of aspirational. Um, it wasn't kind of for our um, actual lifestyle. It was kind of for when, you know, if you were ever invited to something, you'd have this top or you'd have this dress. But I suppose at the moment we are, we're buying now to wear now. Mm. And that's one of the biggest changes that I see. You know, that you were, we're not buying with this kind of notion of having, you know, the kind of, um, you know, kind of event in, in mind. Um, so it's buy now, wear now. So definitely, like you can think it's kind of a lovely kind of. You could have a jogger, pants, and you can um, a t-shirt. You know, it, it, it's not. I'm not talking about getting dressed up. <laughs> it's yeah, yeah. just about maybe elevating that you feel. You know, you feel a little bit more kind of, um, kind of a little bit more aligned to yourself. You know, you kind of feel a little bit kind of. As it's just, it's been so long. It's been 14 months, and you know they, they say it takes 20 
one day, the 28 days to form a habit. Mm-hmm. And we've had a lot of 21 days over the last 14 months. That's <laughs> um, for so sure. I, so I think it's just kind of, people are getting the sense of they're just ready for it. And the biggest problem is that they're ready for it, but mm-hmm. our, you know, the clothes in the wardrobe mightn't actually be fitting us. And so Sharon, where can people find out about your fashion tips for the weeks and months ahead? Where, where, can, where can they find out all of this information? Yeah, so Sharon Huggard, the style coach. I'm on Facebook, LinkedIn and um, also on Instagram as well. Brilliant. Sharon, listen, thanks so much. I'm sure people will have a lot of fun now over the next couple of months trying to work out a new work wardrobe for themselves. So thanks so much for talking to us on the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. Before we go this morning, I just want to quickly catch up with Kean O'Neill from Ballyfehan. Kean was born with spina bifida and hydrocephalus and uses a wheelchair. He's doing a fundraiser during the month of May to raise awareness and vital funds to Kean, good morning. Good morning, Fiona. How are you? So, Kian, uh, you were born with spina bifida. For those who don't know, what does it mean? Yeah, so spina bifida is a break in the spine while in the womb, and then hydrocephalus is uh, from a break in the spine. Uh, fluid builds up on the brain, and then the tube is put into uh, drained off fluid. So, tell us about your fundraiser. You're going to push for five kilometres a day Monday to Friday, is that right? I am, yeah, for the four weeks. So um, that will, in total, come to 100 kilometres and I'm fundraising then for the Spina Bifida and Hydrocephalus Association in Cork. How difficult is that going to be for you? Um, it's not too bad because I'm an athlete myself. So I'm right. I'm actually I'm actually a thrower, but I, I decided to do the track side of it for this, the push. But just in terms of finding the the right terrain so that there's not a lot of steps around the place, just finding a good route to go. I, I started yesterday so I found a good route yesterday to go. Fantastic. And is that around Ballyfihan, yeah? It is, yeah. I up by the lock in Ballyfihan and around around the Ballyfihan area. And Keen, if people want to support you, how can um how can they do that? How can they find out the details? Yeah, so I have a post on my personal Facebook page, so it's Keen O'Neill, and then on the Correspondent Biffin Hydrocephalus Association Facebook page as well. The the link is in there to the GoFundMe page as well. And I have a description on my Facebook page of what I'm doing for the month of May. And the money raised then is going to? Um, Spinal Biffin Hydrocephalus, and they give... uh, funding for their members if they have uh, appointments in Dublin for hospital appointments and then they give funds as well to uh, members whom their family that might have passed away and as well they give money if people are into sport members they give funding towards the uh, equipment as well because specialised equipment is for different sports so I would have a throwing frame for my sport in athletics. Brilliant. Well, listen, uh, Keen, we'll share the details of that fundraiser on our Twitter and the very best of luck with it. That's it. Thanks for listening this morning. The programme was edited by Terry Brennan, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. PJ is back with you at nine tomorrow.